0: I'm convinced when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to sing that way. (laughs) Right now, it doesn't happen even at the finest moments for me. And until then, I'll just have to say what she sang. Wonderful song. I invite you to open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus in the Old Testament, the second book of the Bible. We are studying through these pages and reflecting on the life of Moses. Most people have heard of Moses. Even if you hadn't been in church your entire life, somewhere along the way you've heard the story of Moses. And this morning we find ourselves in chapter 3, one of the most familiar experiences in the life of Moses. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from a land to a good land, a spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite. Just checking to see if you're listening. And behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Wow. I think it's important for us to get a little bit of a perspective on Exodus 3 by stepping back for a moment and thinking about what comes prior to this experience and not getting too far ahead of God meeting with Moses in this burning bush, the bush that burned but was not consumed. Last Sunday, we talked about God's sovereignty, God's providence, as He protected Moses by being placed in the basket and put in the Nile River. And we didn't get to too many of the end details of that story, but I want to remind you that it was a hero's daughter who adopted him and took him into the palace and raised him as a child. Now we know his mother, his own mother cared for him while he was an infant, a toddler, a child. And what a marvelous thought it is to think about the fact that while she did that, Pharaoh paid the bills. (laughs) Would some of you with young children like to have somebody else to paying for that baby food? And the diapers? And the medical care? And all that goes along with raising a child? Pharaoh did. But it was all a part of God's plan. And the way that God was preparing Moses for this special calling on his life. When Moses' mother took him back to the palace, Pharaoh's daughter took him into her home and said, I'm going to call him Moses. She named him. Moses' mother didn't name him. His father didn't name him. Pharaoh's daughter gave him the name. But the name Moses means literally to be drawn out of the water. And she named him that because of the way she found him in the basket and rescued him and saved him. And so then as he comes back to the palace, he was raised as the king's grandson, we might say. He was part of the royal family. And then there is an incident in the life of Moses that we cannot overlook, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning because I would like, Lord willing, to come back to it when we look at another experience in the life of Moses where he yet disobeys God and so I'll come back to Exodus chapter 2 but I want to reference it this morning and you know the experience if you've heard it before he kills an Egyptian in our scripture this morning as we read as God speaks to Moses from the burning bush he tells him I've seen the oppression of the Israelites your children my children I I know about the oppression and and the taskmasters Moses is seeing that and living that as a a man, as an Egyptian in royalty, but he sees what they are doing to the Hebrews, the Israelites. And when he sees one of them lashing out against uh, uh, one of his own blood kin, Moses reacts. And in a moment of passion, he takes the life of the Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. Now the Bible says it this way, Moses looked to the left and he looked to the right. When he realized that no one was watching him, he, he buries the man in the sand. Moses looked every direction except up. Knowing that God was seeing, knowing that God was right there with him, Moses buries the Egyptian in the sand. But the sands of Egypt are shifting sands and we may know that shortly after, Moses discovers that they know. When he sees a Hebrew having an altercation with another Hebrew, he tries to separate them. He tries to advocate on their behalf. And one says to the other, what are you going to do? Beat me up like you did the Egyptian? And Moses realizes, oh, they know. Pharaoh must know. And he fears for his own life at that moment, and he flees Egypt. Now now follow me on this. And in order for you to get a little finer detail, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 7. It's It's a strange place to turn to see a commentary on Exodus chapter 2, but here it is. Acts chapter 7 is the sermon from Stephen, Stephen being the first martyr of the church who followed Jesus. We know that he preached and they stoned him afterwards, and this is where the Bible says that they laid their coats at the feet of Saul. Saul, who eventually became identified identify with him in that way, and I know I, 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 I go back and cover a lot of history when I preach and teach, and some people are not inclined that way. And they say, I, I wish you'd just get to the point. Well, the point is, you have to see the historical view before you understand the significance of it. And C- Stephen is sort of doing that as he talks about Jesus, But as he's leading up to the point of Jesus and he's telling all these wonderful Old Testament stories. But he includes some details here. And as it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, we see it as truth. And it sheds light on Exodus chapter 2. Look at what it says in verse 23 of Acts 7. Now he's talking about Moses. But when he was approaching the age of 40... It entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. So what Stephen is telling us here is at the age of 40 or thereabout, that is when Moses killed the Egyptian. Now if you would skip down to verse 30 here in Acts 7 and look at what it says. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. So understand what Stephen is saying. For 40 years or thereabout, Moses lived as royalty in Egypt. Now let me tell you what happens after he flees Egypt. And this is all a part of Exodus chapter 2. He winds up in a place called Midian. And in Exodus 2, you read this phrase. He sat down by a well. Now there's an outline in Exodus 2. I want you to to just jot this down and think about it this way. Moses reacted, killed the Egyptian. Moses ran. He feared what would happen to himself. And third, Moses rested. So he reacted, he ran, and then he rested there by the well in Midian. Now, I believe many of us could uh, learn from that and need to rest by a well. A well represents that, uh, that reservoir of water where we can refresh ourselves and you know, we can splash a little on our face or we, we can take a cool drink and, and we can be re a little bit. And so Moses was doing that as he made that trek through the wilderness, through the desert. Now in Exodus chapter 2, you learn that he finds his wife there. She's serving, uh, she's, she's, you know, giving water to the flocks who belong to her father. They take him home. Her father receives him in. His name was Ruel, by the way. I have, a, I have a relative, Ruel Spratlin, in my family who was named after Moses' father-in-law. And so he becomes a shepherd and for his father-in-law there in the wilderness. Moses reacted, he ran, and then he rested. And then, Acts 7, for 40 years he stays in Midian as a shepherd... For his father-in-law, all of this is important, until we come to Exodus chapter 3. Now imagine what it must have been like for Moses on this given day. I think it was any ordinary day for Moses. Day in, day out, he done what he did what he'd always done. He'd, he'd gather the sheep, he'd take them to the fine pasture, he'd lead them to water, he'd, he'd make sure that they were protected and nothing over, overpowered the sheep. You know, it was important. That's the way they made their living. And so he would care for the sheep. And I think day in, day out, Moses out there, you know, just battled the elements, whether it was the rain, probably wasn't a lot of rain, but certainly the sun And the wind and the sand... Y'all get a picture of what's going on here? Not a lot, right? I think Moses probably reflected on what was going on in Egypt and what it was like as he lived in the palace for 40 years. And for 40 years now he's out there in the desert. And I think sometimes his mind probably just drifted back to Egypt and he could hear the music and he could see the food that he ate there as, as a member of the king's court. And he could experience all the fine linens of his bed and as, as, as the accommodations of the palace. Palace. And what a wonderful thing it was. But now they're gone. They're, they're just a mirage. They're just, just a, you know, he's, 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 he's hallucinating out there in the desert, just reflecting on what it was like. And as he's brought back to reality, then it's all just chirp, 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 crickets. And he's wondering, why am I here? And on this ordinary day, he sees something. Now, in the imagination of my mind, I wonder if he smelled it before he saw it. You know what I mean? The bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. So I don't know if there's an odor coming from the, you know, from the, from the plant, the tree, the shrub, whatever it was, that was burning there, but Moses saw it, and I think because he'd spent some time in the desert, I think he'd seen spontaneous combustion before. I think he'd seen lightning strike. I think he'd seen things catch fire out there in the desert. And so probably didn't pay a lot of attention to it at first. But because it was not consumed, it didn't go away. It continued to burn. Moses said, "Mm, i probably need to check this out. And so verse 3 in Exodus 3 is a very pivotal verse where the Bible says, Moses said, I must turn aside to see this thing. And that's when he goes to the burning bush... And lo and behold, God speaks. Now, I love the way it's captured here. It says that he says to him, Moses, Moses, have you, ever, have you ever been at home and the doorbell but you weren't sure it was a doorbell? Maybe the TV was on, the radio was playing, you were listening to music or something. You don't, was, that, was that somebody at the door? And so you don't immediately get up and go, but yet you wait. And when they ring it a second time, you say, oh, it was a door. And so then you go to the door. I think Moses is, he hears Moses, and he's like, "Uh, did, did somebody just call my name? Moses. He hears it. Oh, it's confirmed. He is calling my name. And Moses says, here I am. And then God begins to speak. And God begins to tell Moses exactly what he sees and what he knows was happening in Egypt. And you know the story eventually here of how he gets to the point where he says, I want you to go back, speak to Pharaoh, and let him know, I intend for him to set my people free. Follow me. God did not cause Moses to kill the Egyptian, but God allowed it. God allowed Moses to go through that experience. And then God puts Moses in the wilderness for these 40 years until finally He brings him to the burning bush experience and He says... I need you to go back to Egypt and set them free. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to hear God answer all of the responses of Moses as to why Moses says, I'm not your man and I can't do it. We're going to get there eventually. But right now, I want to focus on this idea that God is asking Moses to do this very thing. He's placing this call upon his life. The first thing I want you to think about with me is how God responds to our failures. You say, what failure? He committed murder. He killed another human being. And yet God is now saying to Moses, I'm choosing you for a special task. Can I tell you something, folks? I believe that it is the purpose of the church to help other individuals understand that when we Fail. God desires that we fail forward, not backward. Now, our inclination is to always say, oops, I've messed up. And so we shrink back. We withdraw. We isolate ourselves. We don't want any attention called to us. We don't want to be seen. We don't want anybody to say anything to us. And I get that, and I understand that. But over time, 40 years... God is doing a special work in the life of Moses as He brings him to this point and says, I've got something for you to do. Who was David? Somebody says, well, he was one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament. That's right. Before that, he was an adulterer. He was a conspirator. He was prideful. And as a result, a lot of people lost their lives. It was because of David's sin that that occurred. And yet, the Bible declares that he was a man after God's own heart. I don't have to belabor this point. We know who was Jonah? A rebellious preacher who ran in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. But God's always in the business of coming back and bringing people forward and saying, Nope, nope, I've got something special for you to do. Now, does God have something special for all of us? Maybe not to the extent of a David or a Jonah or a Moses. But I can tell you one thing, that the redemption of Jesus Christ on the cross is exhaustive. And it is universal. Universal. And I, has, I debate this, and I will not accept anything other than this, uh, this idea that God has the ability to take a person who fails, who sins, and redeem them and move them forward in a place of prominence and significance and leadership where He wants them to be. That's what God is doing with Moses. God helps men and women overcome their past. And overcome their failures we're the ones who hold ourselves back we're the ones who hold other people back and yet we need to see that God was in the business of taking him to a point where he says I can now use you Moses had a lot of issues he had a lot of baggage there were a lot of things that God was doing with Moses but he was preparing him in these 40 years to deal with his past now you know his lot of his answers still deal with the past but God's going to answer those. But for this morning, I want you to see God's redemptive response here in bringing Moses to this point. The second thing I want you to see, and this is the last point of the sermon, so just stay with me. I want you to see the purpose of desert places, the wilderness. Do you know what the word desert literally means? It means to speak. Is it possible that God put Moses in the desert because he needed to remove him from all the distractions of the world? God let him stay out there with the sheep. Just bleeping sheep. So that they could be out there and as he becomes accustomed to the mundane, and many of us would probably even say the boring climate of shepherding sheep. God put him in a place where he could get his attention. Now I want to tell you something about the desert and the wilderness. It's a special place to God. We don't like to think in these terms and we avoid the desert and we avoid the wilderness. But sometimes God has a way of putting us there, doesn't He? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Think about Luke 15 for just a moment. Luke 15 has the story of those three stories of Jesus. The shepherd who lost a sheep, the wife who lost a coin, the father who lost a son. Remember, beautiful, amazing stories. And they're all sort of similar in the way, in the idea that someone lost something. And there's celebration when it was found and it was recovered. In that first story, a shepherd had a hundred sheep. Listen carefully. One of the sheep strayed. And in the story, Jesus says that the shepherd left the 99 to go find the one. Where, now I want to ask you a question. Where did the shepherd, according to the story in Luke 15, where did he leave the 99 to go find the one? Now some people say, oh, it, it was, he, it's a song we used to sing. I don't know that any of you have ever sung this song, but I remember it was part of a Stamps-Baxter hymnal that I had when I was pastor of Forge Creek Baptist Church in Pearl River County. That was more information you wanted to know. Stamps back to there it was. The ninety and nine in the fold. In the fold? Well, that that conjures up a picture of a fence and and, and a place where, you know, a stable where you could put the ninety-nine and they could be safe. Now, y'all stay here. I got to go find the sheep that's lost. Read Luke 15, verse 4. He left them in the wilderness to go find the one. What kind of God takes the risk of leaving 99 in the wilderness to go find the one? But it is the providence of God and His protection in the wilderness to go find the one that the one may be saved and brought back. Where was He brought back to? The wilderness. Luke 15. What about Elijah in the Old Testament? Remember Elijah? He's the one that went and spoke to King Ahab and said, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. By my word, it's not. And so they went through this long drought. Where did God take Elijah? First he took him to the brook Kareth. And there he drank from the brook, remember? And the birds brought him the meat and bread in the morning and the meat and the bread in the evening. It was ravens, by the way, who were considered unclean birds. But yet they brought him baloney and, I don't know, Turkey sandwiches? Well, I don't know. They met, meat and bread in the morning. Meat and bread in the evening. And fed him there. And the brook dried up. So Elijah's in the same predicament as everybody else. And you think, well, God's going to take him to a well. God's going to take him somewhere. You remember where he, he took him 100, 100 miles through the desert to a place called Zarephath. Now, he gets to Zarephath. There's, you know, a lot of people there. And, so, and by the way, it was Jezebel's home city. <laughs> remember Jezebel. She's wanting to kill him. He gets to Zarephath and he's thinking somebody with a little affluence here is going to take care of me. And he meets a lady and he, he's parched, you know, and he's he's dried up and he oh, need a drink of water. I love the story there in 1 Kings. She brings him a... a, 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 a a drink of water in a jar. Probably said Mason right on it, Mason jar. You know, and said, here, I have something to drink. And so he drinks it and he finally gets his you know, speech back and he says, oh, I need you to cook me something to eat if you could bring me something to eat. And she said, well, I, I don't know that I can do that. You see, I've got a little flour and a little oil and I'm going home to make our last meal for me and my son. We're going to eat it and then we're going to die. That's exactly what Elijah wanted to hear, wasn't it? I've just come through a hundred miles through the desert. But God said to Elijah, no, you tell her to bring you the first portion and I will multiply the bread and the oil. You see, God has him in the wilderness, in the wilderness, in the wilderness. God specializes in the wilderness. Saul, I mentioned in Acts chapter 7, who was there at the stoning of Stephen. You read in Galatians chapter 1 verse 3, you know what the Bible says. After God appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus and he called him to be a missionary, Saul slips away to Arabia. Now we jokingly say he went to seminary in Arabia. For three years he was there. What was God doing? God was overcoming Saul's past. He'd persecuted the church. He'd been influential. He'd been the one who helped them kill Christians. And now he's going to come back and preach the riches of Christ. And everybody's going to look at him saying, no, "Oh, hold on just a minute. Weren't you the one earlier telling us that we needed to kill Christians? Now you claim to be one of them?" God was doing something special in the life of Saul in Arabia in the wilderness in the desert so that he could speak all of these volumes of truth into Paul's heart and into his life so that he could come back and be one of the greatest missionaries that the world has ever known. I'm not through yet. Read Matthew chapter 4. You know what you'll find in Matthew chapter 4? Jesus has been baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. And after his baptism, Matthew 4 says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And it served a purpose in the life of Jesus so that Jesus could be confronted with the reality of sin and temptation. And we give thanks to Him. We praise Him. We glorify Him. Because in every one of those situations, Jesus responded perfectly to the temptation of Satan in the wilderness. The wilderness for God is a very special... Some of you are in the wilderness this morning. Some of you are in the desert. You feel isolated. You feel forgotten. If you're not there right now, you've been there before. You may even go there somewhere in the near future. As Christians, we get this. We understand. Sometimes you go through these experiences in your life and you wonder, what is God up to? God's put you there because He's about to say something that you need to hear, and it's going to change your life. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're, Oh, Bill, stop. Stop it. That's Moses. God's not going to call me to do anything like He called Moses to... Well, I, I have a word for you. And it comes from a preacher in the past by the name of Ian Thomas, an Englishman. Here's what Ian Thomas said. He sort of tells it this way. Moses reflected on the burning bush and thought, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a special plant. That's a special tree. That's a special bush that God used. And God doesn't have any of said, Moses... You see that tree over there? You see it doesn't have any leaves on it. It's just bare. He said, I can use that tree if I want to. You see this tree over here? It's loaded down with produce and fruit, and it's flourishing, and it's healthy. I'll use that one if I want to. Moses, you see this little bush over here, this little shrub that just everybody overlooks and tramples on? I'll use that if I want to. Ian Thomas says finally Moses gets what God is saying and that is any old bush will do. It's just wherever God chooses to inhabit Himself and reveal Himself at that particular time. And I love the application that Ian Thomas makes and that is any life will do. Your life, your life, your life, your life it doesn't matter my life, it doesn't matter. Any life will do. It just has to be a life that is sold out to him and is willing to commit to him and say, "Lord, use me whatever you want. Speak to my life and speak through me. Speak love and grace and mercy. And let me make a difference in this world. Can you stand one more scripture? Deuteronomy 32. Look look there with me if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 32. This is Moses' perspective on 40 years in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 32, look at verse 10. It says, he found him. Now that is, God found Moses. Moses is speaking in third person here. He found him in a desert land. And in the howling waste of a wilderness, look at this, he encircled him. God encircles Moses. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. One of the first things that those people who live in the desert knows, one of the first things that can go is your eyesight. Because of the sun, because of the sand and the wind... Look at what Moses is saying. He guarded me as the pupil of his eye. Look at verse 11. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. I love that picture. Moses is speaking about how God found him there. He knew where he was all along. And he was preparing him for this moment. And then, as he puts that call on Moses' life, Moses says, And then I went and got him. And he brought him right back to the wilderness. And then God returned like a mother eagle who covers over her young. And he carried them on his pinions, on his wings, the strength of an eagle. Like no other bird. Guess what ladies and gentlemen. God will do that for you. You are so special to him this morning. He's guarding you. Like we would protect the pupil of our eyes. He's encircling you. And he's found you this morning. On an ordinary day. September 23rd. 2018. You were wondering if God was going to show up. And he did. He has. He's here. But the specific call on your life. You have to answer. Stand with me this morning. Father, every time I stand to preach, I'm aware that there are lots of things that you want to accomplish in our lives. You want to save a person who's lost. I think that's first and foremost. And Lord, I pray that if there's any person here, young or old, that has come to understand a need to accept Christ as their Savior, that you would convince them of that need this morning and and show them just how powerful you are to save us, regardless of what we've done in the past, regardless of our sins. You save us and you forgive us and you use us in your kingdom's work. But we have to answer. We have to say yes to what you want to accomplish in our lives. I, I know, Lord, that you always want to strengthen the saints. You want to build up the church and encourage us. And I pray that somehow, some way, this morning that you would do that. And remind us of your love for us. And the special relationship that we share with you. and All the things that you provide for us. If only we'll trust you. If only we'll hear you. Then I know we'll see you at work in our lives. Let us say yes to your will, whatever your will is. Lord, it it may be that you're just challenging some of us to be more disciplined in our lives. To serve you faithfully, consistently, day in, day out. It may be that there are Christians here looking for a church home. And because your spirit would lead them to come, let them come to unite with our church family. and Use what gifts and abilities they have so that your church may be strengthened. Let us be the people you want us to be. Through Jesus we pray.